What's up, everybody? Aaron Smith here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You're about to listen to a message on loving your neighbor in the Good Samaritan. It's a story I'm sure you've heard before, but I really believe that there is something in this message that is an encounter waiting for you to really step into loving in a supernatural way. So I hope it encourages you, I hope it strengthens you, hope it builds your faith, and I hope it helps you to see Jesus more than you have before. I love you. Enjoy this message. Um, but I want to preach to you tonight about loving your neighbor, because you don't have to go halfway across the world to love your neighbor. You just have to go across the street. And if you have your Bible, flip open to Luke 10 and verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25. Um, Galatians 5.14 says this. It says, the whole law is fulfilled in this saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you know scripture, you know Jesus came to fulfill the law. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. But here Paul is writing, and he's saying the entire law is fulfilled in this phrase. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he's saying if you're bound by the do's and don'ts of religion, if you feel bound by the law, here's what you need to do to get free. Go love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, and the entire law is fulfilled in this saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. We know in the house of prayer, right, the, if you've been coming for any time, you know our core message, the same key we hit week in, week out, is we're going to minister to the Lord. We're going to minister to the Lord. We're going to love the Lord. But the more I have sat in this room, the more I have sat in prayer sets, the more I have weeped in this room, the more I have come to behold the beauty of the Lord and to minister to him, the more I have realized that the invitation to the house of prayer and building your life around the house of prayer does not come at the exchange of loving your neighbor. But in fact, the more you learn to minister this way, the more you learn to to minister to the Lord vertically and you come and say, Lord, I wanna minister to your heart. I wanna move your heart. I wanna love on you, Jesus. The more you can see the fruit of it by the way you begin to minister this way to people. And Jesus says this in Matthew 25. It's at the end of the age and it's when he says, the day will come where I separate the sheep from the goats. And he says, I will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And I will say to the righteous, you, you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I had no food. You gave me drink. You, you, you did all these things. You visited me in prison. And the righteous are going to look at Jesus and say, Lord, when, when did we visit you in prison? When did we feed you? When did we clothe you? When did we do all these things you're saying? And Jesus responds and he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. When you ministered to those, you ministered to me. And likewise, he'll look at the unrighteous and he'll say, be away from me, I never knew you. you. You didn't come visit me when I was in prison. You didn't clothe me. You didn't feed me. You didn't give me drink. And they're gonna say, Jesus, when did we not do these things to you? And Jesus likewise responds and he says, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Because the more you minister to the Lord, the more you'll pick up his heart to minister to people. The Lord's burden is for people. And you know, my concern is that we don't know how to love. We know how to talk about love. We know how to herald love. We know how to say the Bible is about love. But my concern is that we don't really know how to embody love. We don't know how to really pick up love. We don't know how to get over ourselves and say I'm gonna be inconvenienced and I'm gonna love my neighbor. 
And I wanna look at this story tonight out of Luke 10 because I really feel like there is some key things in here that is an invitation for us as a community to step into love. So Luke 10 and verse 25. It says this, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? And what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, he said, Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but here's this man. Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answered and said, a certain man, he's gonna tell him a story. Now the story, to give you a little context, is going to be extremely controversial in Jesus's time. It's go he's going to tell the story that's gonna cause people to scratch their heads, be a little confused, be a little offended by what Jesus is gonna say. He says, now a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and he said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the man said, he who showed mercy on him and Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it's, it's sharp and it's active. Lord, I thank you that it divides between soul and spirit. And I ask tonight, Lord, that your word would strengthen us with might on the inner man. Lord, I pray that your word would grow handlebars for us to hold on to, to take outside of these walls, Lord, to step into your word, to practice what you say. Lord, I pray that your word would give us a conviction to love our neighbor. Lord, and I pray that by your spirit tonight, Lord, we would step into a type of love that is supernatural, one we cannot flex our way into, we cannot work ourselves into, but it's one that comes from you, from your heart, from your hand, by your word and by your spirit. And so we invite your word tonight, Lord, to lead us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I wanna pull out three things from this text that I, I really feel um, is timely for us as a community to step into. It's three characteristics of love that you see from the story of loving your neighbor. If you're taking notes tonight, the, the first one is that love is full of compassion. Love is full of compassion. Now there's three men who come across the wounded man. And the three men Jesus chooses the three type of men on purpose. He's making a point by the three men that he's gonna state have seen this wounded one. The first one is a priest. Now, if you modernize this text, we would not call him a priest, we'd call him a pastor. So the first one is a pastor who comes and the Bible says he sees the man wounded. 
and he goes to the other side and he passes him by. Likewise, the second one is a Levite. Now, if you've been in uh, our house for any amount of time, you know a Levite is a worshiper. It's one who carries the presence. So if you were to modernize Levite, it would be a worship leader. So likewise, a worship leader sees this man, sees him wounded on the side. He goes to the other side and he passes him by. Now, the third man is so interesting to me because Jesus uses a rival to the Jewish people. He uses an enemy to the Jewish people. When Jesus says a Samaritan, the Jews, the Hebrews, they would have been extremely offended by this. In fact, I heard a, I heard a pastor say this, that saying the good Samaritan would be identical or equivalent to us today saying that kind ISIS man. Oh, that kind ISIS man. This man was different than the wounded man. He was raised different. He looked different. He was a stranger. He wasn't raised the same way. And the Samaritans and the Jewish people were at odds. They were rivals. They were enemies. Yet Jesus is going to use the Samaritan. It's the Samaritan who sees him. And something happens in the heart of the Samaritan man that did not happen in the pastor. That did not happen in the worship leader. The Samaritan man is moved to compassion. He's moved to compassion. Now, I want to state this. Um, as I was preparing this, as I was reading this, I really felt in my spirit to share this with you. If you're in this house and you've been hurt by a pastor, by a worship leader, outside of this house or in this house, maybe you have been hurt in this house by someone on our pastoral staff, I want to repent to you. I want you to know that as a pastoral staff, we're growing in love. In fact, I was in a, a staff meeting this week with our pastoral staff team, and we were talking about embodying love and growing in love and learning to be selfless. And if you have church hurt, if you have alert, uh, hurt from a church leader or a church pastor, I want to repent to you on behalf of pastors, and I want you to know that we love you and that we're growing in love. But it's profound to me that this man does not experience healing through church staff, but he experiences healing through community. The Samaritan man, he's gonna take the wounded man and he's gonna take him into his home. He's gonna take him into an inn, but he's gonna take him into closed doors. He's gonna begin to walk with him. It wasn't a church leader that healing came from, it was community. And it's what compassion does. Compassion will cause you to invite a stranger into your home. Compassion will cause you to, to do things that you wouldn't normally do. In fact, I wanna give you a definition for compassion. According to the University of California at Berkeley, they have a group of emotional health researchers and they define compassion as this. It's the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another person's suffering to the point that you feel motivated to step in and bring relief. I'm gonna read it again. The feeling that arises when you are confronted with another person's suffering to the point that you feel motivated to step in and bring relief. Now, compassion is different than sympathy and empathy in this way. Sympathy would be seeing someone else's suffering and, and having pity on them. Oh, that must be so hard for them. Man, I have sympathy on you. I have pity on you for what you're going through. Now, empathy would be, man, I can't imagine if I was going through what you're going through. Oh, man, you put yourself in their shoes. You see yourself through their suffering. But neither of those cause you to do something about it. It's actually compassion that causes you to get in the middle of someone else's suffering and says, I'm gonna help you. 
I'm gonna be with you in this. I'm gonna bring relief to you. How can I help? That's what compassion does. And in fact, the Greek word that is used here for compassion, and I'm not gonna try to say it to you. You can look it up for yourself, blue letter Bible. But the Greek word that's there for compassion, it comes from the root word, which is the word to have a bowel movement, okay? Why is that important? Because the Hebrew people believed that the deepest of emotions came from within your belly. It came from within the inside. So anger, happiness, joy, it would have come from inside your belly. Compassion, it's the same word that's used for a bowel movement because it's on the inside you feel within your stomach this conviction to get in the middle of someone else's suffering and say, I have to help you. In fact, it's the same word that Paul would use when he writes about groaning in prayer. Now, see, if you understand that, that changes the house of prayer in groaning before the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a prayer set like this, and I started praying for something that I did not care about before I walked through these doors, but because I was in the place of prayer, the Lord dropped his burden, and you start groaning for something that's on the Lord's heart. It's you stepping into a place of compassion and saying, Lord, from within the inside of me, let me partner with your heart. But let me rapid fire some scriptures at you about Jesus. Luke 7, 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Matthew 9, 36, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Matthew 14, 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. Mark 6, 34, and Jesus, when he came out, was moved with great compassion. Matthew 20, 34, so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Mark 8, 2, and Jesus said, I have compassion for these people. Mark 1, 41, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. And Matthew 15, 32, then Jesus called to his disciples, he called his disciples to him and said, I am moved with compassion toward the multitude. As a church, we must have compassion. We must have compassion. Why am I talking about compassion? It's so elementary, but I feel more than ever in this day and age, something I'm longing to see, something I'm longing to see in my own life, in my own marriage, in my own family, is an embodiment of compassion. Because over the last couple weeks, I've seen some things that have happened in our nation, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it's amazing. The Uvalde, Texas shooting, it was horrible. But what I have seen, if you open up your phone and you begin to swipe, it seems like anything that's happening in the earth and politics is just becoming something to post for the church. And I really feel like if we're posting things without compassion, the Bible says this, it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, I can speak in tongues of men and angel, but if I do not have love, I am nothing but a clanging symbol. And man, if we're posting things without compassion, if we're posting about Roe v. Wade, let's celebrate, but we don't have compassion for those who it's actually burning. Man, we're missing the point and we become a clanging symbol. And I really feel like in this hour, in this time, it's time for us as Christians to say, Jesus, give me compassion. Give me compassion for the lost. Give me compassion. It's one of the most profound prayers you can pray. Lord, give me compassion for the one I don't understand. Give me compassion for the one who's different than me. During the 2020 presidential election, um, there was a day that I was driving home from the upper room and I pulled into my driveway and my neighbor had put a presidential campaign sign in my yard of the presidential candidate that I did not plan to vote for. And so I pull into my driveway and I see this sign and the way our, our property line is set up, it's actually his property line, but if you were to drive past my house, you would think it was my yard. 
and he put it right there on the edge. And I was like, are you kidding me? And uh, my neighbor's 85, by the way. And so I'm sitting there in my car in the parking lot, and I'm just, like, getting riled up about it. And I'm like, man, I'm going to go take this sign. I'm going to go put it on my neighbor's front porch. Or I'm going to go buy a sign for the other candidate, and I'm going to put it in his yard. You know, I'm thinking of all these things. And I come inside, and I start telling Sir Beth. I'm like, can you believe that our neighbor, like, who does he think he is? You know, all these things. And Sir Beth, being the God-fearing woman she is, she goes, you need us to go spend some time with the Lord and then do what you're going to do. Do whatever you're going to do. But just take some moment and, and take it up with the Lord. And so I did. I went and sat in the same spot that I love to spend time with the Lord. And I began to tell the Lord, Lord, can you believe this man? You know, and can you, you know, what, what should I do? I'm going to do this. And I'll never forget, if you came to the town halls in that season, you probably heard me share the story. But I was praying and I heard the Lord say, Aaron, I want you to leave that sign in your yard for the entire campaign. And I was like, Lord, is this who you're voting for or what's up? <laughs> And um, the Lord said this to me. He said, you can either be about a political campaign or you can be about a kingdom one. And the Lord said, I'm much more concerned with you loving your neighbor than you letting people know who you're going to vote for. And uh, the reason I share that story to you, yes, it's powerful. It convicted me. Um, but I share that story to you because I could have taken that sign and I could have gone to my neighbor. I could have said, hey, this looks like it's in my yard. You know, I could have confronted him. I could have done all the things that I wanted to do. But leaving that sign in my yard actually gave me deep compassion for my neighbor. And about six months after um, the election had ended, my neighbor comes knocking on my door asking for prayer because he's just been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I, I got to lay hands on him, pray for him, declare that he would be healed. And he left my house. And I'll never forget when he left the Lord saying to me, you think he would have come? had you confronted him about that political sign? Do you think you could have walked with your neighbor through a trial? For the next six months to a year, Sarah Beth and I began to walk with our elderly couple next door to us, yet the open door came from me willing to have compassion for someone I didn't understand. But love is full of compassion. It's full of compassion. Let's keep going. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. He gets off his own donkey. He begins to bandage his wounds. He puts the wounded man on his donkey, and then he begins to walk the rest of his journey until he gets to an inn. And he takes care of him. And the next point is this. Love is willing to be inconvenienced. Love is willing to be inconvenienced. If you're living con for convenience, you'll most likely miss the opportunity to love. If you're living for convenience, you'll miss the opportunity to love. See, love comes in opportunities. But if you're living for convenience, you'll miss them every time. I, uh, I'm going to tell you another story. I really felt like when I, was, when I was preparing for this, I wanted to tell you stories of my actual neighborhood. We're talking about loving our neighbor. And I got a lot of stories from my actual neighborhood. And uh, there was a Thursday. Thursdays are date night. So most Thursday nights, um, my wife and I would go on a date. And it was a Thursday. 
pull into my driveway and I'm sitting in my driveway, have my door to my truck open and I'm looking for a restaurant to take Sarah Beth. And as I'm looking for a restaurant to take Sarah Beth to, this chihuahua jumps in my lap. Now, we do not own a chihuahua. I don't like chihuahuas. Yet this chihuahua is sitting in my lap. And I'm like, what is this dog doing? And I look in my rearview mirror, and there's this little 16-year-old Hispanic boy sweating from chasing his dog in the summer. And he's just like <laughs> waving at me. So I get out of my car, and I have this chihuahua. And I'm like, hey, bro, is this your dog? You know, And the chihuahua's like, Argh! you know. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I tried to grab, I tried to grab him. And I give him back his dog, and I just feel a conviction of the Lord right there to preach the gospel. So I start telling him about Jesus. You know who Jesus is? Jesus died for you. You know, I just start telling him about Jesus. And this little kid's just looking at me. He's 16 at the time. And uh, finally, I'm like, okay, well, hey, I live here. I'm a, I was a youth pastor here at the time, and I was like, I'm a youth pastor. If you ever want to come play video games, come play video games, whatever it is, we'd love to have you. He's like, okay, you know. And I, so I say, hey, take my number so you'll have it. He takes my number, and he leaves. And I go inside and I tell Sir Beth, we have to leave in about 30 minutes. We're going on a date. Well, lo and behold, while we're getting ready to leave, I get a text. And this kid's name was Ricky. And he texts me and he says, um, hey, I was thinking about what you said. I would love to come over and talk more about Jesus. And so I'm like, Sir Beth, do we have any time this weekend for him to come over? And Sir Beth says, well, why don't you invite him to dinner with us? And I'm like, it's date night. <laughs> what, do you mean, what do you mean invite him to dinner? It's date night. Well, we invite him to date night. We invite him to dinner. And we go, we go to a restaurant. We were getting sushi that night. He had never had sushi. He was like, what is this? You guys eat weird food. And we're sitting there, and we're like, well, we're going to go to the theater after this. We're going to go see a movie. Um, do, you, do you like the theater? You want to come? You want to take you home? And he, he just has these wide eyes. And we're sitting there, and he says, I, I've never been to the movie theater. And we're sitting there, and we're so moved. So now we're like, all right, we're going to get you popcorn. We're going to get you candy. We're going to get you all, you know, all this stuff. Like, we're going to the movies. We're going to get on the front row, IMAX. Let's do it. And so we take him to this movie, and the whole time his eyes are wide open. He's just chowing down on the popcorn. I'm, like, trying to share. I'm like, we're going to share. And he's just, you know, into this movie. And, well, we take him home that night, and... Um, we drop him off, and so we tell him it's a Thursday, and I say, hey, on Sunday morning, we have youth group. I would love to invite you. I can pick you up from church. And he's like, okay. You know, so Saturday night, late Saturday night, he texts me, and he says, hey, can I still come with you to church in the morning? I'm like, of course, bro. I'll pick you up. However, whatever time, it'll be early, and so he's waiting on, his, on the curb in the front yard, and I go, and I pick him up, and I bring him here, and he sits. Youth used to meet in the back corner, and he sits in youth, and then after youth, he comes, and we were sitting right here where, where Naira is sitting, and and Miller gets up and he preaches this message that day. And at the end of it, he says, I really feel that there's someone here who's never given their life to the Lord. And you're supposed to give your life to the Lord. And guess whose hand shot straight up? It was little Ricky that day. And um, he gave his life to the Lord. But why do I share that story? I share that story because if I wasn't willing to be inconvenienced, who knows where he would be? Who knows where he would be today? I know that today he's still walking with the Lord. I see him from time to time. Um, but his destiny was changed because someone was willing to be inconvenienced. His life was changed. He met Jesus because someone was willing to be inconvenienced. And man, when Jesus stepped onto the scene and he started preaching, he destroyed the message of convenience. He set the bar really high for the believer. He says, don't go one mile if someone asks, go two. Don't just give your shirt, but give your jacket also. 
started thinking about the message of, of leaving the 99 for the one. Like how inconvenient to go after the one. It's like, man, that's, that's not smart on a business level. That's not smart on a leadership level. Like I need to steward the 99. Yet leading, leaving the 99 for the one is so inconvenient. In fact, the first definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is this. Love suffers long. Love suffers long and is still kind. Man, we don't like anything that's long. We see, we go to a restaurant and the line is long. I'm out, I'm going somewhere else. We go to an amusement park, the line is long. I'm out, I'll go somewhere else. I got a, a 10 minute audio text the other day from someone and I looked at that thing and I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> like, I'm not about to listen to this thing, it's long. And what was crazy is I was preparing for this message and I heard the Lord go, In, uh, inconvenience, huh? And I was like, all right. Love suffers long and is kind. You know, I'm learning that convenience is actually a Western American fast food mindset. But you get out of the nation. You go to places like Estonia. You go to places like in 2017, us and the Smiths, we went to Northern Iraq. You go to the Middle East. You go to any Latino culture. And you see that their, their culture of hospitality is so kingdom that it's not inconvenient to go out of their way for the people they're hosting. It's actually a great joy. It's actually not inconvenient at all. They step into a place of inconvenience with a smile, with a happy heart. It's such a kingdom culture. And man, more now more than ever, it is time for the church to step into a place of inconvenience, especially with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's time for us to say, man, sign me up, I'll adopt. Man, sign me up, how can I be a part of what the Lord is doing on the earth? How can I be inconvenienced? Because love is willing to be inconvenienced. Romans 10, 9 says this, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't just pretend, but really love them. Love is willing to be inconvenienced. Let's look at this last one. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an end and he took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and he said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. And the last one is that love is costly. Love is costly. So this man gives two denarii, which I looked it up, it would be the equivalent of half a week's wages. So half of a week, he gets a paycheck for a week. Half of that paycheck went to this man. And then he says, any more you spend, when I return, I'll repay that as well. And so I was asking the Lord about this one. I was like, Lord, are you saying that anyone we love, the only way to love him is to give sacrificially? No, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is this, love looks like something. Love looks like something. In fact, we know it, John three sixteen. J. Lou quoted it tonight. God so loved, he gave. We don't even have to talk about what he gave. God so loved, he gave. Why? Because love gives. Love gives. Be it money, resources, time, your attention, whatever it is, love gives. When you're really motivated by love, you'll find yourself giving. If you're not a giver, ask the Lord, help me love, you'll start giving. Because love looks like something. Love gives. 
I was thinking about this morning when we were preaching this. If you ask any waiter or any waitress, what is the worst shift to work? They'll tell you Sunday afternoon. Why? Because Christians aren't good tippers. I promise you, you want to live, love your waiter tonight? They'll be more moved by a good tip than a prophetic word. I promise you. You give them a really good tip, you're going to see their eyes light up. You're going to see their heart open up. You give them a prophetic word, but you don't tip good, that prophetic word is just going to fall right off the table. But love looks like something. I think about homeless people. You know, I get so uh, convicted because there's been so many times where I see a homeless person and I'm like, well, I don't want to give him this $5 because he might buy cigarettes with it. You know, and one time I heard the Lord so clearly goes, who cares if he buys cigarette with, with it? Are you really going to withhold love because he might not steward it well? Who did Jesus give money to? To Judas. He's like, Judas, you're going to be the one to steward my money. Why? Because love gives. Love is not withheld because of how someone else will steward that love. But as Christians, what if we really started embodying love to homeless people and saying, man, and when I, if I got cash, I'm going to give it. You know, I think about nonprofits, giving to nonprofits. There's a story, a couple years ago, uh, my wife was working with Todd White. She would travel with him, and he would get up, and he would tell this story. I would hear him tell this story. And it was about a time that he was preaching the gospel to someone on the streets, and that person on the streets, was his, his heart was so closed off, and he was saying, I've, I've done the church thing. I've done the Christian thing, but, but, but. Christians are thieves. Man, I gave in the church and the Christian, and it was all around how the church hadn't stewarded money well. And I'll never forget Todd White telling the story and saying he heard the Lord say, I want you to go get all the cash out of your bag and give it to him. And it was a couple hundred bucks, and he went and got it, and he gave it to the man and said, my father is no thief. Here's the money. And in that moment, this man whose heart was so closed off, and there were so many walls, those walls came down, and he was willing to hear the gospel because someone was willing to give. Try it this week. Give sacrificially and watch how walls come down to the person you give to. I think of Mary of Bethany. We love the story of Mary of Bethany. You know, the Bible says she gave her costly oil. And you know what Jesus calls it? He calls it loving him. He says, she loved me. You gave me no kisses. You gave me no tears. You gave me no oil. But this woman has loved me well. From giving costly oil, she loves well. And the point is that love isn't cheap. When we think love is free, we begin to cheapen love. But it's intentional. And the moment you feel like it's costing you something is probably the moment you're stepping into supernatural love. The moment it's costing you your time, your resources, your finances. I started thinking, man, this is why it requires us to trust God as our provider. Why? So we can be givers. So Christians could be givers. I said this this morning, but if a room this size all made a commitment to say, man, when I eat out at a restaurant, I'm going to tip really good. Just this room, just this body, just this church could change the culture of Christians in restaurants. You realize that if we just said, I'm going to tip really well, I'm going to give really well. But we can be so concerned with our own selves and our own finance. Well, I don't have enough for me. How can I give for you? But if we started giving Watch, the more you give, the more you'll see it's given unto you. The more, and this isn't the prosperity gospel, like if you come give $1,000, you'll get a mark. No, this is stepping into giving and saying as a Christian, man, I'm going to give. Why? Because my money's not mine anyways. 
It's why Jelu can lead us in taking out our wallets and saying, Lord, here's my wallet. Either that's a fancy prayer or it really grows hands and feet and it starts walking itself out in your life. And the best way to practice not being your own provider is giving. Love is costly. But as I was reading this passage and I was preparing the sermon, Oscar, if you want to hop on the keys, help me out. I was reading this and I was preparing for this and I was thinking, Lord, I'm going to be a good Samaritan. I'm going to start learning to be a good Samaritan. I'm going to, I'm going to love well. I'm going to, you know, all the things. And uh, I'm going to tell the room, you can be a good Samaritan and we're going to step into being the good Samaritan. And I heard the Lord chuckling over me. And he goes, Aaron, you're not the good Samaritan. You're not the good Samaritan. You've missed the point of the story. I started thinking, Lord, what are you talking about? You say, go and do likewise. What do you mean? We're, we're called to be the good Samaritan. And uh, in verse 34, it says, so he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. And the Lord said this to me. He said, Aaron, who anoints your head with oil? He said, Aaron, who gives you the oil of joy for mourning? Who? Who anoints you with oil? Who washes you in the wine of their blood? Who? And I said, Jesus, you, you do. You know, the Good Samaritan, he picks up this wounded man and he takes him to the inn. And he tells the innkeeper, he says, here's the money, here's the resources, you take care of him. And when I return, I will repay whatever you've given. And the Lord said this to me, he said, Aaron, you know who you are in the story. You're the innkeeper. You're the innkeeper. You're called to love the person who the Lord puts right in front of you. Just the person that the Lord put right in front of you. Maybe, maybe it's an invitation to go to Estonia and be with Ukrainian refugees. The Lord put those people right in front of us. Maybe it's an orphan that you find yourself like, man, I didn't think I was gonna adopt, but now I'm adopting, why? Because the Lord put them right in front of you. The Good Samaritan takes this man to the inn. He tells the innkeeper, you take care of him, but here's the resources. Man, who the Lord puts in front of you to love, the Lord will give the resources. And I promise you this, whatever you pay to it, there is a day where Jesus is returning and whatever you have paid, he will repay you. That's why Jesus says, even a cup of water, even when you give a cold cup of water to a little one, it's recorded in heaven. Why? Because everything matters. We're not the good Samaritan. We're the innkeeper. Last night, there was a car pulled over on the side of the road, and another car, we watched another car pull over, and the guy ran out and started helping this man push the car, and Sarah Beth goes, he's the innkeeper. He's the innkeeper. Because if you think you're the good Samaritan, that's a lot of pressure on you. That's a lot of burdens on you to get out there and love everybody and love the world, and let's do it, let's rally. We can, we can flex our way into love. We can strive our way into love. But if we just trust the Lord to bring them and say, Lord, who you put right in front of me, I will love. But loving the person right in front of you causes you to look up outside of yourself and look at others. And I really felt tonight like the Lord wanted to deliver us of selfishness, of self-seeking, of being concerned with ourselves and consumed with ourselves. Man, I love social media. Don't get me wrong, I love social media. I think it's a tool to reach the lost. But in the last couple weeks, I have seen 
where it hasn't been a tool to reach the lost, but it has been a place for Christians to vent and throw stuff out there. But man, if we really pick up compassion, it'll change the way we post. If you really pick up compassion, it'll change the way you talk. Can I just get on the Christian influencer thing for a moment? I hear so many people, I didn't say this this morning, but I know who I'm talking to tonight. It's a room full of young people and I hear so often, I'm a Christian influencer. I'm a Christian influencer. And I start thinking, what even is the theology of a Christian influencer? Are you kidding me? Where in the Bible do you see this theology of a Christian influencer? Because Jesus doesn't have an Instagram. Jesus doesn't have a social media, and he's the only one who should be influencing us. Yet we see so many people who have taken this thing and says, I'm gonna be a Christian influencer. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like a modern day, who is the greatest, Jesus? But man, if your social media has become something for you just to post the next opinion and post the next thing, clinging symbol, clinging symbol. And I really feel tonight, There is deep deliverance for us to lift our eyes off of ourselves and to love our neighbor, to love the person across the street, to be a lover. Man, if you're coming into this room day in and day out, let me tell you, I am someone who has given my life to prayer. I want to grow gray hair in the house of prayer. I wanna get wrinkles in the house of prayer, either in a prayer room like this or a little one in the middle of nowhere, Estonia. I want to age in the house of prayer. But if you're giving your life to the house of prayer, man, there are two doors at the back of the prayer room that you have to leave every night to go to bed. And on your way, there will be someone the Lord will put in front of you to love. It is not an invitation to say, I'm gonna love you, but I'm not gonna love other people. But it's what we've done because loving people is inconvenient. Loving people is hard. It's easy to love Jesus, he doesn't hurt you. It's easy to love Jesus, he knows your deepest desires, but loving people, people will hurt you. People will say hard things. People will offend you. That's why you be like Danny Silk says, I'm the cloud, I'm unoffendable. But I'm gonna get my eyes off of myself and I'm gonna love people. I'm gonna love who the Lord has put right in front of me. Would you stand with me? And I wanna pray tonight. pray for those of you who you feel like you can relate when I'm talking about getting your eyes off of yourself. If you feel like your eyes have been on yourself, you feel like it's been hard for you to love because you've been concerned with your own finances or your own calling, your own destiny, your own stuff, and you feel like, man, I have not, I have not loved the person that's right in front of me. I maybe have not had compassion. I maybe have not been willing to be inconvenienced. But tonight, you wanna step into a place of getting your eyes off yourself and loving the one who the Lord has put right in front of you. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Would you lift both of them, actually? And I want you just to begin to look to the Lord. And I want you to begin to tell him, Lord, would you give me compassion? Tell him, Lord, help me get outside of myself. Just begin to engage the Lord for a moment. You don't have to wait for me to give you prayers, but just begin to tell the Lord, Lord, I don't wanna live for myself. I don't wanna live for my own selfish gain. But Lord, I wanna live for you. I wanna live for your kingdom. I wanna be love, Lord, to my neighbor. And you can even ask the Lord, Lord, who is my neighbor? And I feel like the Lord is gonna begin to show you who he's put right in front of you. 
who he's put right in front of you to love. Maybe in this season, someone texted me and said, the one the Lord's put right in front of me is my mom. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe the one the Lord's put right in front of you to love is a neighbor, a physical neighbor. Maybe the one the Lord's put in front of you to love is maybe there's an orphan that you feel like you're supposed to adopt. Maybe you're supposed to open your home to young people, whatever it is, but asking the Lord, Lord, who is my, who have you put right in front of me to love? Lord, help me love them well. Lord, help me get over myself. Lord, lay down my life, deny myself, pick up my cross and follow you. And on the way, Lord, let me love as many as I can. Let me love those who you've put right in front of me. feel that, that tonight is a night of getting our eyes off of ourselves. The whole law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Especially those of you that have felt bound and you have felt like your lunch has been being eaten by whatever thing it is in your life. I really feel tonight there's an invitation where you're going to begin to love people and in loving someone else by putting your eyes on someone else, by saying, I'm going to get outside of myself for a moment. You're actually going to find relief for your soul. The whole law is fulfilled and love your neighbor as yourself. And I just want you to come to the front and begin to engage the Lord. If we have a ministry team that can come forward. But I thank you, Jesus. Lord, let self-centered Christianity die tonight, Lord, on this carpet. Lord, thank you that you set the example, Lord. thank you for your empowerment and your grace. Lord, I thank you for the supernatural. Even feel tonight, like from this, some of you are going to start experiencing the supernatural. Getting prophetic words for people, laying hands on people, seeing people healed, because you're taking a moment and responding to compassion. You're taking a moment, being willing to be inconvenienced, slowing down, saying, I'm not gonna live at the speed of the world, but I'm gonna live at heaven's pace. I'm gonna be willing to slow down and be inconvenienced and say yes to opportunities before me. Lord, we wanna love our neighbor. Lord, I thank you for the first thing being the first thing of loving you. But Lord, from that place, Lord, loving our neighbor.